from the others. He wanted to be separated from the Hittites in his burial area. And he also did not want to be spiritually or financially tied to the Hittites in any way. So he, he had to make sure that he paid for that land. As much as he knew of their religious beliefs and their lack of godliness, he still treated them with respect and with honor. And that's, that's important for us to learn as we go out and we deal with people in the world. There still has to be that separation, though, between those, those two different things. This week, we'll see Abraham use the same sort of discernment when he's choosing a wife for his son. Yes, things are a little bit different back then. Um, Anyway, he knows of the beliefs of those who are in Canaan. And he knows how influential the women can be in a man's life. Abraham knows he must not find a pagan woman for his wife or for his son because she's going to lead him away from the God of the covenant with him. He chooses to send his servant back to Ur, or back, not back to Ur, but back to his family to find a wife from his clan his blood. We're not going to be reading the whole chapter. I'm actually going to break this section up into two different parts. Uh, kind of a going out and finding her and then coming back with, with uh, Rebecca. But our points for today are going to be the oath, the sign at the well, and then the welcome that um, he receives. So please stand as we read. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 32 in chapter 24 of Genesis. Sandy, that is one big Bible you got there. That's like my wife's. I just found it online. That's, that's, is that a big letter one? No. Really? Wow. I got to see what's all in there. Okay. That's pretty good. That's good. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Well, you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to, the, to draw the water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. 
Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, in appearance a maid whom no man had known. She made to the she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then a servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink for the jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water as she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets before her arms, weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young man, the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash their feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Amen. Lord, we just, again, we thank you for being here with us. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would just put aside all the distractions of the world, Lord, and just have us focus this time solely on you, that we can be blessed, we can learn more about you, and just, again, we, we just thank you for word for those here by appointment to hear it, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. But before we begin, let's just do a little summary of where we are. Sarah has died at 127 years old. That makes Isaac at this time about 37 or a little bit older. Culturally, you need to understand the very patriarchal method of households that we're dealing with here. Dad was in charge. Dad was in charge of everything in life. People would stay with their families until they were married. Um, only then would they move out and kind of be out of the headship of 
their of their dad. Um, for the most part, they would stay in the same area as their families, and they would do that. Number one, we talked about water. Water was a, a big deal then, so they would stay kind of close to the well. They would stay close to their family for protection. Um, they would also stay there for guidance, for love, for support. Um, you, you see kind of what happens sometimes when you go on, on some of these journeys. If people didn't treat you right, you could actually die out in the desert. So this, they, they, they were very communal in the way that they did everything, but massively patriarchal. And dad, dad led everything. For the most part, or marriages were arranged, and then there was a bride price that was paid. And, and we, we have to understand when we're looking at this story, we, we have to grasp that to, to see what's really happening here. Because there's some very unusual things in this story that are not normal. And it's only because of God that any of this will make sense. So Sarah's gone. Abraham's old, and Isaac is single. Okay. Now remember, he's at least 37 at this time. How can the heritage be passed on, a covenant fulfilled, if Isaac does not have a wife? He's, he's basically, think of it this way, you, you moms out there, he's 37 years old, he's living in mom's proverbial basement. Okay? So it wasn't by choice. Abraham did not want a Canaanite wife for Isaac, and that's where they were. They were in the land of Canaan. So I'm sure there was loads of beautiful women around that he could have, you know, set them up with, but he knew that it needed to be more than looks, and, and he had he had to know from their beliefs that they were going to lead his son astray. So what does he do? He calls his most trusted servant. We, we talked about this when we read um, Genesis 15. This was probably Eliezer. His, um, it was his oldest guy that he had that was in charge of everything. And Abraham trusts this man. He knows his heart. He knows that he will do what he wants for him. Abraham needs Eliezer to understand the significance and the seriousness of what's happening here. Um, and Moses does too, because this is actually one of the longest narratives in all of Genesis. This, this is a very important thing that's going on here is the wife for Isaac. Abraham sits him down and he says, I, I want you to promise me that you're not going to take a wife for my son from the Canaanite women. But you're going to go to my clan where my blood is and you will take one from there. So Abraham makes him put his hand under his thigh to swear this oath. Um, this tradition, this oath, this style of oath is only a couple places in Scripture. And in both, in, in the cases that it's happening, it's, it's a very old patriarch nearing death, and it's an issue of family matters and how those lines are going to continue. There's a few interpretations of how this was done or why it was done. Uh, one is literally, it's just underneath the thigh, and it was a, it was a, 
was a it was a symbol of submission. You're sitting on my hand, so I'm submitting to you. The second in, is a bit more graphic, but I think actually hits the point way better. I didn't put any pictures up. <laughs> the um, when we look at oaths, our custom as peoples, we swear on a Bible, right? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth to help so God. That's, we've all seen that. Their tradition at that time was to basically swear on their circumcision, okay? They swore on their loins. They, so, they swore on their family seed. You guys have all heard this saying, I swear on my father's grave or whatever that is. It, it kind of comes from those types of seriousness of an oath that people make. Um, now, if you can, instead of putting it under the thigh, think of putting it under the loins of the person they're making this. You're basically, he's saying, I need you to swear on my family seed that you will do this. It's a very serious thing that they're doing here. Um, and just so you guys know, the word testify is actually related directly to the word testicles. It, it's you're swearing on that. That's the importance of that. Um, it kind of puts this oath into perspective here. You're talking about the wife of the only heir to, uh, to Abraham, and she's going to be the one that, that does carry on Abraham's family name and the covenant that God made with Abraham. So with the oath made, Eliezer takes off and heads to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. It, it's, it's not all the way back to Ur where he came from, um, if you look at the map up there. So Ur, if you remember, Ur was down in this area. And this map doesn't really show up, but there's kind of mountains all right here. So you got to go up and all the way around back here. But Abraham's brother was actually up in the area of, of Nahor. It's called Nahor after him. So um, they, they travel... Eliezer travels up to that area. It's about 600 miles or so up to that, that area. And you guys need to understand that there, he's, he's going with 10 camels. So this is about a two, probably closer to three-week trip that he took to go up to this area. Um, once he gets there, it's, it's very common to go to where the... Well, it is because you need to water those camels. The water, the camels can go for days and days without water, but your first place you're going when you get to a place with water is you're going to where the water's at. The other thing, too, is can you go to the next slide? You want to go to where the women were at. He's on a mission from God to find a wife. So he's going to where the women are at. Traditionally, the women would come out at night to the well the younger women would go out and fill the water vessels for the next day. So he settles the camels down. Before doing anything, this is very important for us to realize, he prays. Now, 
We are at chapter 24 in Genesis. And this is just kind of an interesting side note. This is the first time in Scripture that we actually see a prayer written out. We see conversations with God. This is the first time that we see somebody say, I'm, I'm praying to God right now. So just, just an interesting side note. Um, Abraham, we saw Abraham when he was pleading for Sodom. Um, but that was a direct conversation with God in, in, in person as he was sitting there under, under a tamarisk tree. This is, this is a different situation. Um, what does Eliezer pray for here? He prays for a sign. Something to tell him that the woman that he was looking for was the woman that God had chosen. And Eliezer shows great wisdom here because when, when we get sent on something, how do we look at it? We look at stuff through our perspective, like, oh, well, I'm sure that girl over there, she's attractive, that would be the one. We would just look at it in a different way than, than what, what God would. He knew, Eliezer did, that if he prayed for a sign from God, that God would show him who he had picked out for Isaac, and that it would be based on integrity and love and, and her heart, not just the outward appearance. The fact that she ended up being beautiful was just kind of a big bonus. The other thing that we see right off the bat was that she's also selfless. Eliezer asked God to show him who this woman was going to be. So verse 14 it says, let, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and whom shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. The request is great here, and, and the, the way that Eliezer phrases this is really neat because not only does it show Eliezer who the chosen one of God is, but it, but it also shows her heart. Is she willing to help others? Is she willing to help strangers? Is she willing to do things besides for herself? And Rebecca comes out, she starts drawing water, and the servant runs over and he says, you know, please give me water from, to drink from your jar. And she said, yeah, give me that, I'll, I'll water your camels also. The things that we realize when we read this narrative, first of all, she was beautiful. Second of all, she was pure. Third, she was the one God had chosen. And we see that she does exactly as Eliezer had asked the sign to be. Was this, was this from God, or was just, this just her natural nature and how she treated people? Probably the second one. Because we know she showed kindness and love to others in a way that Eliezer asked it to be shown. God had shown him who the bride of Isaac was to be. And Eliezer, he's sitting there, and he goes, let me make sure. 
I, I got to make sure this is the one. And, and I think this line is here for a reason. How many of us, when the, I'm, I'm talking about the line where he says, he just sat there in silence and watched as this happened. Now, just to put this in perspective, she comes out with a jar. Now, they can carry some pretty large jars. We know from the text that he had at least 10 camels with him. I don't know if you've ever seen a camel drink water. She went to that well a bunch of times to fill that up, to, to water these camels. That girl was working. And he's just sitting there watching this in amazement. How many of us just take a moment and witness the work of God in our lives? Because that's what's happening in this story. Ellie, Eliezer asks for a very specific and important sign for his mission. He has this oath of his master to bring back a wife for his son, and that wife will be the mother of the promised covenant between God and Abraham. And God comes through not only with a beautiful woman, but one of the heart for others. And Eliezer is just sitting there as he's part of this story, just watching in amazement as all this unfolds. And I think so many times, each and every one of us has a part in the story of God, and we don't recognize it, and we don't see it. We don't just stop and go, wow, I can't believe that just happened. A lot of times, we'll just sit there and go, oh, well, you know, it's just a coincidence. Oh, yeah, that's not, I mean, I prayed for it, but, you know, just this happened. And we don't give the credit to God the way that we should. One other thing on this sign. Our text says that even before even before, Re before Rebecca even started to come out, before he even stopped speaking and praying for Rebecca, she had come out. So God had already God already knew his needs. God already knew what was coming. And, and I think that. It's important for us to know that God already knows what we need, and He knows it before we ask Him. We pray, we pray as people, we pray because we pray to tell God, I know you're sovereign and I know you're in control. This, this is how we submit to His will and His authority. If our prayers are in accordance with His will, He grants them. He's not a giant genie in the sky. But we see here that Eliezer is praying for the perfect will of God to be done in this situation. And to show him that his mission is successful for the continuance of that promise and that line of, that line of Abraham. The sign was asked for. The sign was shown. The wife of Isaac was chosen. And, and now we have to deal with the last part. And, and that's with the bride of Christ, with the Father. The reality is this whole situation, as I said at the very beginning, is very unusual. The groom 
is almost always known by the family in some way or another. This one was not. The groom is always present for asking of the daughter's hand in marriage. Um, and there's always an oath that's made between the father and the, and the son-in-law. We, we talked about this when we were dealing with blood oaths earlier. None of this took place in this situation. But what we do see is something a little unexpected. We, we see the total work of God and how the family responds to how this all goes down. And the way that they welcome Eliezer is amazing. When the camels are done drinking, Eliezer gave her a ring and two bracelets. Again, you have to understand the cultural thing. Some of this stuff is still practiced even today. The ring was not a ring, not a finger ring. It was a nose ring. The um, let, let me read this from Ellicott's commentary because it'll actually make more sense. It was hung not from the central cartilage of the nose, but from the left nostril, the flesh of which was pierced specifically for this purpose. And such rings are still usual, a, a betrothal present to a um, to a, a future wife. They're common still today in both Arabia and Persia, and they're not they're made not only of gold and silver, but coral, mother of pearl, and sometimes even cheaper materials just based on a person's status or whatever it is. To think about what's going on in this story, a shekel at that time is worth to a, is worth an equivalent of about three hundred twenty dollars in today's money. Um, so basically, he put about thirty five hundred dollars worth of jewelry on her. But what happens next is really interesting. He asks Rebecca, whose daughter she is, and if there's room for him to spend the night. He's already given these gifts. But he needs to make sure that this is really the one, and it's from Abraham's seed. So he's kind of still questioning, like, are you sure this is the one? He's made this really long trip. He needs to make sure that he's doing this right. And she says to Eliezer, not only am I a member of this family, but there's also plenty of room for you and your animals, and there's food, and there's all these things. So basically... Every single thing that could have been worked out, worked out perfectly, because it's God's will. All the answers are good, and he sits down, and what does he do next? He thanks God for what God has given him. The proper response for a fulfilled prayer is to give thanks. And I can tell you that we are not very good at that in most cases. Rebecca then goes back, she tells her mother and her brother, Laban comes out to the well to meet this Eliezer guy. Laban, after hearing what has all been transpired, then he sees the jewelry, he sees all these things, he comes out and he says, in verse 31, he says, come, come in, O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Eliezer was welcomed by Rebekah 
and he was welcomed into the home of Nahor by Laban, her brother. Not only did he take care of the animals, but he provided for he provided water for them from their feet. The welcome that they received was above and beyond. But we read a very similar treatment by somebody else. You guys remember that? Abraham did the exact same thing. And it was the goodness of these people in the hearts of others that was evident here. Now next week, we're going to go through the rest of the story and see how this all works out in this marriage and, and all of this. But let's just wrap up this first section. We, we see an unusual oath. And trust me, I was a lot less graphic than it actually is. <laughs> We see this un unusual oath between Eliezer and Abraham. The oath was for the future of Abraham's line and the, and the remainder of that covenant with God. <clears throat> Once that oath was done, the two men or the men went on a journey, and it was more than Eliezer. He took other people with him, and he took uh, some other things. So that that'll come into play more when we get into next week's. He wanted to make sure that this mission was going to be successful. So he prayed. And he asked for God's favor in what was happening here. Eliezer was faithful in his mission, and God blessed the whole thing. The thing that we need to understand here is that when we read these stories, and we read this one in particular, Rebecca had many options. She chose to show kindness. Laban had many options. He could have come out as the overprotective brother. And I think that he truly saw the work of God in what was going on here. So he showed kindness to this foreigner. The, the, the whole story that we read here it is one of faithfulness and kindness that will lead too much greater things that we'll read about later. The, the faith in God to provide the kindness to strangers, showing the kind of people Abraham's family was. No, no wonder he sent for one of them instead of trying to find a good one in, in, in Lot there. Um, if there's an application here, it would be for us to be steadfast steadfast in our faithfulness to what God calls us to. To Eliezer, it may have been finding a bride. To you, it may be some service you're called to, even, even if it's sweeping the floor or picking up the laundry or whatever it is. We're to do whatever we do, faithfully, but also prayerfully to make sure that what we're doing is within the will of God and we're doing what he has for us, not what we have for us. One of the, one of the main things that we have to get from this story is that Eliezer, he could have gone and picked any woman, probably gotten it past anything, but he wanted to make sure it was the one God had. We have to know 
that we're doing God's will. And the only way to do that is to be faithful and steadfast in our prayer to Him. Eliezer prayed for God's will, and we need to do that as well. Amazing things happen to us when we humble ourselves and we say, not what I see, Lord. What do you see? What do you see for me? What do you see for Abraham? What do you see for Isaac? When we look at what we see, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. We have to put aside what we think and go, what is the perfect will of God? And when it's God and it's his will, then it all works out. Everything just kind of fell into place in the story. It all just lines up. And it all works out. The lesson here is not a new one. It's the ones that we have been learning about since day one when we started the book of Genesis. Faithfulness and obedience to God's will is rewarded with blessings. When you go outside of faithfulness and obedience, you're outside the will of God, and things that are normally bad will happen. It's just the reality of it. So when we stay faithful in prayer, and we're looking for what God has for our lives instead of what we do, you begin to see the blessings. So let's be faithful and obedient, and just watch Him work in your life, and then when it does, and it happens, stop. Watch it, and recognize it, and give thanks to him, because it happens all the time. Most of the time, we're too busy looking for ways it wasn't him, and we miss it. Let's stand up, and we will pray. Lord, we do. We thank you for your word. We thank you.